We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Pilato. And the night is finally here. The first night of the 2020 NFL Draft. Feels like it feels like it came and went. It got off to a really a snag in my mind. It was a really slow start. It felt like that Joe Burrow pick took over 10 minutes to get in, even though it was just about 10 minutes. They took the whole clock down. But then after that, the draft caught a very nice pace. There were no trades in the top 10 picks at all including the Giants, who were rumored to be interested in trading down. They took almost the entire shot clock, so it looks like they were trying to trade down. I think, really, their only option to trade down was the Jacksonville Jaguars. But once Jeffrey Okuda came off the board at number three overall, I don't think the Jaguars had any interest. I'm, at earlier, you know, people mentioned maybe they were trying to trade up for a quarterback. Doesn't seem like that was the case because eventually the Jaguars took C.J. Henderson, another cornerback, and number nine overall. I had him as a top 10 player on my board. Most mocks had him in the 15 to 20 range. Just shows me that, hey, if the Lions had traded back and not taken Okuda and the, and, and the Dolphins had traded up for two, even though they, you know, they didn't need to, so they made the right call there, maybe, just maybe, the Giants and Jaguars would have pulled off the trade there. Jags would have taken Jeffrey Okuda at four overall. End result, the Giants stay at four and select their top tackle, and that was Andrew Thomas, the tackle out of Georgia. So, Nick, how are you doing tonight, and what did you make of how that top ten unfolded? And, of course, the Giants pick. <laughs> 
It was kind of chalky, to be honest, when it comes to just how the top 10 unfolded. It was Burrow, and yeah, it felt like a year and a half just getting through the Bengals pick, which was pretty fun. Yeah which was pretty abysmal. I'm not going to curse on this podcast. This is a family-friendly podcast now, ladies and gentlemen. But then Chase Young and Okuda, no trades. And then when it got to the Giants, I heard that they were leaning Andrew Thomas, and I started going through it in my mind. I was Where'd like, you hear that? Uh, from somebody that I work with. They said that they, they believed that it was going to be Andrew Thomas. They might have a source. I do not have a source within the organization, but neither do I. possibility that they do. So I was able to just kind of Think about Andrew Thomas as the selection before it was made. And I was like, I know they had him on several Skype calls and they brought him in, which they're just doing their due diligence. But then I thought about Dave Gettleman, man. And I was like, Gettleman loves players out of the SEC. Gettleman loves players who have started a lot. And he had 41 yep. career starts. Gettleman loves versatility. He had, what, 15 starts at right tackle, 26 at left tackle. And Gettleman, as well as many general managers, loved players who possess a lot of length and that is Andrew Thomas. And I was like, it really kind of does make sense. So I was kind of right before the draft thinking it was going to be him or worse. Cause I thought worse made a lot of sense. And then I started getting a little sags. I just didn't think it was going to be Jedrick Wills, despite all of the reports from Daniel Jeremiah through the last week that, that the giants were leaning in that direction. And obviously he fell all the way to the Cleveland Browns. So I'm uh, we'll get into how we feel about this pick. But what was your initial reaction, Dan? My initial reaction was relief only because we were I'm doing a lot of work at, at CBS Sports and it's going fast and, and furious. And I'm updating um, our our picks tool, basically our picks tracker. That's not only live on the website, but live on our HQ, live on CBS Sports. Network. it's a big deal. I have to make sure I get these right. And at the same time. Somebody says Derek Brown in in the in the picks tracker, and I th and it was right around the time where the Giants were on the board, right before Okuda, and I think it was a joke from my, from my buddy Josh Edwards, one of my colleagues, but it gave me a quick feeling of just unbelievable, just that gut feeling. It's kind of that gut feeling I had. Um, I don't remember the last time I really had this feeling with the Giants. Maybe Eli Apple was the last time I had this just total feeling of disaster. Um, and that's how I would have felt if they had taken Derek Brown. And again, this is not anything to do with the player. So I know people were commenting on that when I called it a nightmare scenario earlier today on Twitter. It has nothing to do with Brown as a player. If the Giants are in a different spot, Brown's a fine pick. You saw the Panthers take him at seven. They know what they're getting. Like They understand the importance of having – they don't have really – I mean, they have Kawan short, but they need another player there to help boost that defensive line. The Giants had absolutely no need for Derek Brown and just no way to get all these guys on the field. Good players were going to have to not play if Derek Brown was going to be drafted. So had a feeling of relief. And then when when Thomas got taken, obviously he's not my number one tackle, but I'm I'm willing to admit this, Nick, and I don't feel bad about this at all. I don't think anyone could could honestly tell you right now that they are dead sure of a rankings of these top four tackles. One, two, three, four. This is the definite one. This is the definite two. This is the definite three, definite four. A, these tackles are going to fit differently within every team and every scheme. B, it's impossible to judge. The, the draft is a total crapshoot. Let's keep that in mind. C, players develop, and they, pl and they develop at different rates. D, players develop at different rates based on the coaching, based on the and, – and obviously, we have our high expectations and hopes for Mark Colombo coming in as the Giants offensive line coach. So with all that said, Nick, I'm not going to be mad that they selected Andrew Thomas over Jedrick Wills. I'm not going to be mad that they selected Andrew Thomas over Mekhi Becton or Tristan Wirfs. Having said that, 
ideally, and it doesn't look like it was a possibility. Just this is the way it shook out. Of course, the one year the Giants don't need a quarterback. There's no trade, no one trading into the top into the top ten for some odd reason. Giants just can't catch a break. So obviously, I would have rather gotten the second, their second, third, or fourth choice at often. I don't know about fourth, but second or third choice because started to slip a little bit later in the process on Worfs, and we can get to that later, but I, I have some concerns on Worfs. But as far as the rest of them go, I would have been fine with them getting their second and third choice and picking up another pick in that 33-99 to 99 range. That would be the ideal way to play this if you didn't want Isaiah Simmons. And obviously, I would have been fine with Simmons as well, um, especially now that Josh Jones is still on the board and Ezra Cleveland as we go into day two, but we'll touch on more of that later. But having said that, it's a pretty fine pick for me. Um, there's a lot of things to like about this pick, I think. There's a lot of reasons to like it from the standpoint of Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, how we want to build this roster out, focusing on the offensive line first, and when are the Giants going to get a chance at a group of four offensive tackles like this again? We just don't know. There's no guarantee. And then how do you get that position to, as Dave Gettleman said, I want to fix this offensive line once and for all. Well, how are you going to do it? You're going to use top four picks. That's a very good way to do it. So, Obviously, there's no locks in the draft, but you know what, Nick? Overall, I'm happy with. I'm I'm fine with the pick. I'm happy with the pick. You can even say that. I, I'm a hundred percent on board with everything you just said, and you got to also think Dave Gettleman puts a high precedent on character football character and it seems like Andrew Thomas has a lot of that that's what Kirby Smart has been preaching he was a team captain he won the Jacobs blocking trophy first team all-american first team all-sec was second team all-american first team all-sec in 2018 freshman all-american in 2017 and he takes his job really seriously he seems to be a very bright young man as well according to all the accounts I think all the, these things factor into leading to Thomas being a selection along with his football is just football skill set. I look at Thomas, I think when it's all said and done right before, I was always up in the air on who my second tackle was between Thomas and Wirfs, and I think Thomas edged Wirfs out coming in the last couple weeks, and he became my second tackle, and I totally understand why the Giants went in this direction. I have no problems with it. Like I said, Jedrick Wills was my number one tackle, but I don't know Jedrick Wills. I don't know Andrew Thomas. Right. The Giants were able to interview both these guys extensively and probably know a lot more than I do about them as people, and I like enough on tape about Andrew Thomas. I mean, he shows a lot of really good traits and a lot of good qualities and even some of his deficiencies that we've talked about. He lunges too much and his feet aren't the quickest. His sets aren't the smoothest. They're not Jedrick Will sets, but his frame and his size right. are able to mask some of those deficiencies until they're developed by Mark Colombo. So sure. I'm... I'm intrigued by this a lot. I really like this selection for the future of the Giants offensive line, for the development of Daniel Jones, and for the run game because Andrew Thomas is the best run blocker of those four big tackles. I mean, Mekhi Becton, that's one that's... Yeah, I don't know if I give that hard. over Becton. It's kind of hard to say it's, that one, right. to be honest, but Andrew Thomas is power and just ability to seal the edge sure. either way. Technically speaking, out. he's probably the best run blocker from that standpoint. Yes, and he's also good at climbing up to the second level, locating yeah. linebackers, defensive backs. Again, not worst are... level there, but yeah, definitely great yeah. there. He there's a lot of technical issues that can't like s small ones that can be developed, which I feel sure. like will be. But I think he's going to be out there forklifting defenders and and opening holes for Saquon Barkley while being a blindside protector for Daniel Jones, and that's something that us as Giants fans we've wanted for so long, and now we got it. So it's kind of like a sigh of relief, to be honest. 
It is, Nick. It is. And I, I've, I've come around to this pick a lot. In general with Andrew Thomas, I never felt – I had him as my fourth O tackle for a while. Then finally, basically days before the draft, hours before the draft, I kind of started to sour a little bit on Worfs just because – I really don't know with Wirfs. There's there's already so many issues for me with him when it comes to just the fact that he, he already has issues in the past production that I think will show up immediately if he played as a rookie. And the Giants, again, as they made clear, listening to Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge speak. And by the way, breath of fresh air listening to Joe Judge speak versus Pat Shermer. This is a guy who's actually giving some insight to the picks and, and a joy to listen to compared to Pat Shermer. But, you know, as I listened to them, they were looking for an NFL-ready tackle. They want somebody who can come right in and help Daniel Jones immediately feel more comfortable and immediately improve as a quarterback. And the same goes for Saquon Barkley. They made it clear they really like what this guy does as a run blocker. Joe Judge made that clear in his uh, post-draft presser. So if you're looking for just NFL-ready tackles, somebody who they feel like can help the development of those players and they don't have to worry about some bad tape games— Really, for me, it was probably Wills or Thomas. So if you're looking at it from that standpoint, they got one of those two guys. And even better, if you look at it from the standpoint, is they got the guy who has the experience protecting a blind side, the left tackle. Obviously, you know, some people feel like Jedrick Wills can play on the left side. We think that the Cleveland Browns are probably going to try to have to put him there because Jack Conklin is, is only a right tackle. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. I don't know how easy that's going to be. He may have the skill set, but again, very hard to make that transition. But with Thomas... He's had more games at left tackle. He's played a ton at left tackle. He's played at right tackle, too. That's where he started, but had a ton of games at left tackle. And we'll get to this, by the way, in a little bit, Nick, because I'm intrigued by what you think is going to happen now at this left tackle position for the Giants and this right tackle position for the Giants. But having said that, very NFL-ready player. So for me, the player, I'm completely fine with. There is no, like, OT4. Like, sure, like, maybe I would have liked a couple of, like, I probably would have liked going upside at four with Becton, or I would have liked Wills because I thought he was the best overall tackle. But again, like I said, I'm not an off- I'm not paid to, to evaluate offensive linemen. I don't do any interviews with these guys, just like you said. You don't know these guys from the interview standpoint. We don't know exactly even what kind of offensive scheme the Giants are going to run. We're projecting things based on Garrett and Colombo, but we don't know for sure. They know that. Yeah. And like we always say too, Dan, we say that's going to be more uh, power gap, which I do believe is right. But that does not mean that it's going to be purely power. gap. There's going to be a lot of outside zone, which we've seen. There's going to be a lot of just mixture of inside all of it. Whereas Pat Shermer was basically only (laughs) exclusively inside zone, which got really frustrating. But one thing I wanted to say to add on to, yeah, we don't know these guys, but just reading through tea leaves, I've heard Kirby smart say several times about Andrew Thomas, that he's somebody that when he speaks to the team, everyone listens. Like he was one of those true leaders in the Georgia locker room. And you look at some of the running backs that he's blocked through over the over the years, man, Sony Michelle, the uh, Swift, yeah. obviously this year, Nick Chubb, he's been around that program since 2017 as a starter, as a f- true freshman. So there's, a, I know I've seen a lot of Giants fans who are thinking about jumping off the cliff. Don't we got significantly no, no, no. This better. Is not a jump off yes. the cliff pick by any means. I just think some Giants fans, whatever Gettleman does, they're just gonna shit on it no matter what, and that contingent's always out there. Yes. But. The Giants are a much better team today than they were yesterday by add the addition of Andrew Thomas, and it's not yeah. even close. He's an easy player to come around to, Nick. Like, when you look at it, there's there's things you, that – there's preconceived notions. So when I watch Thomas, I've, I've we've gone over this. I obviously have some concerns about him in pass protection, and if those concerns I'm seeing at the collegiate level, 
I worry about when he has to face speedier edge rushers at the next level. Now, having said that, that that could be that could be something that completely derails his chances of being a top tackle. It's it's in play. I'm not saying it's likely, guys. I'm not saying I think this is going to happen. I'm saying it's a, there's a non-zero chance. But the point is, there's pretty much a non-zero chance for any of these guys. We love how Wills looks, how Jedrick Wills looks in his past sets. But again, maybe things will look a little different when he's facing NFL pass rushers. We just don't know. So the things I do like about uh, Andrew Thomas is that he was a lot more athletic than I thought he would be. So he doesn't reach my threshold for the 20-yard shuttle. He tested in the 63rd percentile in the 20-yard shuttle. And there's good, you know, there's really good stuff out there that shows the 20-yard shuttle is by far and away the most important drill translation-wise for these offensive tackles. And that worries me a little bit. But what I do like about him is, 78th percentile three cone, 85th percentile broad jump, and 80th percentile vertical jump. So the athleticism is certainly there. It's not like we're looking at a guy who bombed the 20-yard, bombed the three cone, and has no explosion in his jumps. That's not the type of player he is. He's not just a guy who has length, frame, and good and, and solid tape against really good competition. Because we know, listen, Gettleman's going to put a priority. The Giants are going to put a priority on captains, like you mentioned guys who are good in the locker room and guys who have started a lot of games. Like you mentioned, he loves to start a lot of games and guys who have started a lot of games in a high conference. If those things translate to the next level, that that remains to be seen. I haven't seen any study saying that those are the traits you want. You know, there's no like, look at all the team captains over time in the draft. They've all done well. Or look at all the X game starters. Look at all the guys who started in, in power conference. But that's not what I'm talking about here. What I like about him is a, he's a pretty good athlete, not an elite one. But in addition to that, he also has the frame, Nick. That's the big deal here for me. He has the frame. That 97th percentile arm length, that's the real deal. And that's exactly why both Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, and we'll get to some quotes from the that stood out to us from the presser in a minute, so I don't want to jump the gun there. But that's exactly what the two things that, or I'm sorry, that's, the, that's exactly the thing that both Gettleman and Judge pointed out, that arm length. And if you look at his best comparison on Mock Draftable, there's a couple names that come up top, but the one that he's the closest to or the second closest to is the Brickishaw Ferguson from the Jets. And that's an interesting one because a lot of people say they see a lot of brick uh, when they watch uh, Andrew Thomas. And you know what, Nick? The Brickishaw Ferguson may have never been an all-pro left tackle for the Jets, but if you ask any single Jets fan, they will tell you that they love to have him on the team. He was one of the most valuable players in their franchise in the last decade while never being that all-pro tackle. And if Thomas doesn't have that all-pro ceiling for me, but he can be a brick, if he has the Brickishaw Ferguson ceiling for me, that's a pick I can warm up to immediately. Yeah, sign me up for DeBrickishaw Ferguson right. any day of the week to protect my quarterback's blindside. Plus, he's on first-team All-American names along with Prince Umukamura. So there, he has that going for him as well. Mm-hmm. But the, the key things I do like, if you just want to take away key notes about Andrew Thomas, is excellent in the run game. He's going to open it up for Saquon Barkley. And his anchor in pass protection is great. He's yes. not going to get bullied at the NFL level. He has the power, the anchor, and the strength at the point of attack. And a forceful, really strong punch, heavy hands, 10 and one-fourth inch hands, which are really, really big yeah. as well. And I love those things. Now, the speed rushing contingent that we mentioned throughout this whole process where he has struggled, that was something that came up on tape at. There are a lot of NFL tackles who are good NFL tackles that will get beat by some speed rushers. And what do you see? We see it every Sunday. We see them them unlock their hips, turn, and then just extend and push 
the speed rusher up the pocket, and that's when the quarterback steps into the pocket. How many times have you seen that? You've probably seen that plenty of times. And I'm, Thomas has the hip fluidity, and he's not overly fluid in the hips. I'm not saying that. But he has enough hip fluidity to mm. do that and kind of unlock his hips, get his arms out, just make just enough contact on the edge rusher to push him off his pass rushing arc so, arc so he can't corner through contact. And I feel Thomas has that ability. He has the speed in his feet to do that, even though it's not elite foot speed and he doesn't mirror as well as Jedrick Wills. So I think those little technical issues that we have talked about, they're not going to be overly exposed in the NFL. He's going to get beat like every NFL early rookie tackle does. Sure. But like like you've been saying, Dan, I I really, um, I like this addition and I think it's going to be, uh, something that we, um, we respect in the years to come. We've talked pretty extensively, Nick, about his footwork. Um, but I was actually curious for me, a big thing with offensive tackle play and all offensive line play is hand usage. And especially with a guy like this, who has big hands, and obviously the long arms. I mean, if you just look at these arms, 97th percentile, that shows upside there. But does he use his big hands and long arms well? I want to hear what your take is on his hand usage because that, to me, was one of the biggest flaws in Eric Flowers' game. And that's the last big tackle, obviously, the Giants have tried to go up and get. Um, they they drafted Justin Pugh, but they converted him to guard, and he obviously had shorter arms. But Flowers is another guy who looked the part but yet couldn't use his length to his advantage. And obviously the feet were a complete disaster there, but the hand usage was also a big problem with flowers. The punch does, is that something, where do you, where do you see there with Thomas? I think Thomas has a heavier punch than Eric flowers, but the consistency does need to improve, which is one thing that I am a little bit, uh, a little bit concerned with is just his punch landing. Like he doesn't always keep his elbows tight. He doesn't always earn the, uh, the chest, the breastplate, of the defensive lineman. Sometimes he'll tong, as I've said on this podcast, where he'll come up and around and get outside. But he does have a lot of power and his movement skills and foot, just footwork in general is so much better than what Eric Flowers was. This is not an Eric Flowers case whatsoever. I don't see that. No, And no. I know I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because another issue that I feel Thomas has was an issue that Flowers had, but it's not to the the extent that Flowers was. And that sometimes he can overextend, which leads to balance issues. I do believe Thomas can play with a better center of gravity, maybe lowers pad level a little bit. He's a pretty big guy to kind of maximize his skill set. Because that's one thing that he does struggle with sometimes is balance. But it's it's not to the level of Eric Flowers. Now, Eric Flowers could barely no. <laughs> say this a lot. He could barely do a kick slide at the combine. I, I this guy was a top ten pick. It's like insane. I, I can't even believe that that guy was a top ten pick. I I I wasn't following the draft like I was now, Nick. But like, mm. if you if we were doing this back then when the Giants drafted Flowers, like. What would you like this guy when this guy would be almost in Austin Jackson territory for you, wouldn't he be or worse? I would think so. Yeah, I think I would have been able to see just like another Austin Jackson. I would have been able to see the athletic upside of Eric Flowers and the size and his run blocking ability. I would have been able to see all that. But I I look a lot at footwork and hand placement. And those are some concerns that I have with with Andrew Thomas, to be honest. But there are things I love about Andrew Thomas, and it's his when he's set and when he does play with a low center of gravity, especially in pass protection, he can recoil his hips and he can resync his hips and kind of use a secondary um, 
like explosion of power through his core and his lower body, which he has done while he is anchored before. Like he can really recoil his hips in that manner and really explode through them. So he he's a very strong and a very powerful guy with some technical issues. That does not mean he's Eric Flowers, Giants fans. No, he's no. much more uh, superior than Eric Flowers. But uh, there are some things to clean up, and I feel Mark Colombo is the right coach to do that. Yeah, no doubt, Nick. All right, let's work through some of these quotes from uh, the transcript from Dave Gettleman and Pat. Or I'm sorry, not Patrick Graham. From Dave Gettleman, from Joe Judge, and from Andrew Thomas, who all spoke to the media after the pick. So I want to first ask you about something that Gettleman pointed out. We've talked about the arm length. They both mentioned that at length. Um, I think the direct quote from from Judge was. Uh, when they asked him, what was was there a characteristic or a defining trait or two that elevated Andrew for you above the other tackles? Because remember, the Giants did have their – the way this draft played out with them sitting at four, they had their choice of any tackle. Thomas was the one they chose. Um, and Judge says it had nothing to do with the other guys that were in the draft. This is all about Andrew. I'll tell you what. His skill set favors the opportunity to come, to come in and contribute now. So, again, like we mentioned, they're looking for guys to come in right now, less developmental. He said he's long. He's a good athlete, and he has good short area redirect. So in a second, I'm going to ask you to kind of break that down a little bit. But Gettleman also said the length that he has is really the defining feature that he has physically. You turn around, and you see the guys that don't have as much length, the shorter arms, the shorter people, and defensive ends with longer arms get them at the next level. Yeah, when it comes to that short area redirect, I mean, that's just something in the run game because he can kind of – just latch on to you and just turn you out of whichever uh, gap or hole that the offensive uh, ball carrier is trying to carry the ball through, which we've seen on tape with Andrew Thomas. He has that ability. He has just the strength and the core strength, lower body strength, plus a strong inside arm to go outside and turn while keeping his body positioned well in front of his blocking target. And he has a strong enough outside arm to do the same if he's sealing the edge, the end man on the line of scrimmage to allow a run to go outside through the, uh, like the D gap or something or C gap, something along those lines. He can do both that in the B and the C gap, which is obviously imperative to run blocking. And then in pass blocking, he, has enough mirroring ability to keep up with most NFL pass rushers, is what I believe Judge and Gettleman uh, feel about about Andrew Thomas. He's not going to be a huge liability in that respect. And if he does have some of those deficiencies, like we said before, he has that length that Gettleman really harped on to make up for that and not get totally exposed. He has, and it's not just the length because you can have a lot of length and stand straight up and play with no balance or no core and just be like, you know, a, a turnstile, but he does lower his butt, sink his butt a lot. And again, sometimes he has balance issues and overextends at the hip, which you don't want to see, but most of the time that's not an issue. So, what I'm taking away from what Judge and Gettleman said and what you just uh, alluded to is that he's effective run block, like we know, and he's not going to be exposed in the in the passing portion of the game. The running game is a big thing for these guys. It's a huge thing for Gettleman, and it's a huge thing for Judge. If you listen to their, their post-draft pressers, if you read these transcripts, they both mention how important the run game is. And Andrew Thomas is going to give them that boost in the run game. We obviously liked Wills' tape there. We think Wirfs has a lot of upside, uh, you know, in in space as a run blocker. Becton, obviously, Mauler. But don't sleep on, on Thomas as a run blocker because he can do it well. All four of these tackles, in my opinion, were really good run blockers. And I think the difference for, for Thomas is they felt like he could be the best potentially left tackle pass protect, in pass protection. And... 
back to the length thing for a second, just because I found this interesting. Despite ha- despite the fact that Becton is obviously bigger than uh, longer and bigger or taller and bigger than than uh, Andrew Thomas, he actually had longer reach than Becton, which is crazy. Becton was in the 95th percentile and Thomas was in the 97th. And obviously, Worfs, as we're looking at it, was because I'm just. Going off of mockdraftable.com, Worf's in the 65th percentile, but we knew that he has short arms compared to the rest of these tackles. That's why a lot of people think he needs to be a guard. And then Will's at 79th percentile. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, that is BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. You want to know what's crazy about Wills, though? His wingspan is the same as Thomas, despite having, like, two-inch shorter arms. Wills, you said? Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, Wills, yeah. Wills is a good good prospect for sure. Um, you, you know, we'll see how this all shakes out with regards to that. But I thought that was definitely interesting. You know, that definitely stood out to them. And just, just you know, there's some of the best tackles in the NFL have land. This, the, the idea of looking for guys with with great reach and arm length and hand size it's not anything new a lot of this has been the there's a reason why nfl gms are looking for this is because most of the tackles in the nfl who have worked out have this obviously you have like the ramcheck outliers ryan ramcheck short arms you know doesn't have that but you're not really looking for outliers when you're drafting players you're looking to kind of go the opposite route you know i mean you could find outliers in any draft class but it's really usually it's not but it's not by design it's by you know people kind of lucking their way into that or just having a strong evaluation that you know one trait won't hold them back so for me this is definitely a good trait for them to focus on i'm i'm happy that that's part of their process when they're looking at offensive tackles but one other thing that stood out to me as a notable quote that i wanted to get your take on nick and it was basically this. It was Gettleman pinpointed that that, and he said it was funny to me the way he broke it down. Nick, he said that recently, what may have put him over the top. He said it was a few days ago or something, or maybe a week ago. He said he saw Andrew Thomas's tape versus Josh Allen two years ago when Allen was in his final year uh, at Kentucky, obviously SEC team. And obviously, you know, Gettleman loves Josh Allen. Wanted to take him at six. Would have one hundred percent take taken him if. You didn't need a quarterback. It wouldn't even be a choice. It would have fired it away. And by the way, Josh Allen was phenomenal as a rookie. You guys should go check out how unbelievably good he was. And that doesn't happen often for edge guys. Like Chase Chase Young should probably be better, but I wouldn't even put a guarantee that Chase Young in his rookie season is better than Josh Allen. But then that just goes to show how good Josh Allen was in his rookie season. But anyway, back to this. He said that that tape, Thomas versus Allen two years ago, is what really kind of did it for him Eric came away so impressed with that did you see that tape by any chance Nick because I haven't and if not we got to put that on our list 
Sadly, I have not seen that okay. tape, but it's definitely something that I'm I'm going to dig deep into Thomas's film in the next coming days, especially after the draft stuff slows down at SI and Big Blue View, just to really kind of get a overall broad picture and really watch as me- much film on Andrew Thomas as I can. But an interesting thing that you brought up, because when uh, the Giants media was talking to Andrew Thomas, they brought up how Gettleman uh, mentioned Josh Allen. And then they asked him, who was the most talented pass rusher you've ever gone against? And Andrew Thomas replied, well, yeah, Josh Allen was a really good one. And he also brought up your boy. Yeah, my guy who now they're teammates in Jacksonville, Caleb on chase on and Josh Allen. They're going to form a dynamic duo of pass rushers once uh, Yannick Ngakwe just bitches himself out of or complains (laughs) himself out of Jacksonville. Well, Well, did you see actually what happened there that I don't even know if he's going to have that opportunity because tonight. The I think the Jaguars, I guess this was like a release statement or something. I think Mike Garofolo, Mike Garofolo tweeted it. Basically, they basically the Jaguars GM was like, he doesn't have any options, and he's going to either have to come back here, or I don't know. Because And he's kind of right. Like They could just play hardball with him. Like, all right, you don't want to play? Good luck. You're not going to get this. What's the tag? 20 million? What, what is the tag? Whatever the franchise tag is, it's 18 million guaranteed. He doesn't want that. He could sit out. That's basically what he said. They're not trading him, I don't think. I think he's going to have to figure that out. But anyway. Word gets around in the NFL, too. And when you start calling an owner out on Twitter, like that's a very stupid thing to do uh, for any professional athlete. It's just not a good look. I don't understand what you're going to uh, like tactically get in that kind of uh, altercation with somebody, one of the 32 owners in the NFL. It doesn't make any sense. But another thing I wanted to talk about, Andrew Thomas, Giants fans. And I think we got to keep it in perspective. This is a rookie tackle, and we like this selection. But he is going to be going up against a murderer's row oh. in this division. And I think we need to keep the context of that. If if it's a Monday night game against the Cowboys in 2020, and he gets beat bad on a third down, and people are going to start crapping on the pick, it, there's going to be some growing pains with him when he has to face Brandon Graham, yeah. Marcus Lawrence, Chase Young, it's Montez Sweat. Do you mean name anybody on that Redskins front? It's it's um it's uh, going to be it's going to be kind of difficult early on it might be. <laughs> it <laughs> definitely might be. And listen, it's going to be difficult. People have to understand. There was unfortunately since the Giants did have the 4th overall pick and it does feel like if there was a Jonathan Ogden in this class, they would have got him, which kind of sucks because listen, I don't think the Lions – I think the draft would have kind of played out exactly as it did. Burrow, Young, Akuda, and then the Giants would have had that top tackle regardless. And unfortunately, there it doesn't feel to me like Andrew Thomas is a Jonathan Ogden right away. Tyrant, you know, unbelievable player right off the bat. He's an elite tackle. It just doesn't feel like that to me. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think any – I don't think too many people would disagree with me that, about that, though. There was really no Ogden type in this class. Joe Thomas, Ogden, whatever. Tyron Smith, whoever you want to say. Even Tyron Smith was a little bit more of a projection than the Thomas and than the Joe Thomas, Ogden types. But the point is, if you're not one of those types, you're going to struggle as your rookie season. Offensive tackle is one of the hardest positions to transition to in the NFL. One of the main reasons is – it's the one of the few positions that's played a lot differently at the collegiate level than it is at the NFL level. That's why you see all these stats starting to pop up about true pass sets because in the college game, they're not the, the the style of offense is very different and what the tackles are asked to do is very different. And sometimes, most of the time, 
it makes for a more difficult transition than a lot of other positions on the field. So people have to be understanding that if Thomas struggles during games against these tough matchups during his rookie season, I'm personally not going to look read too much into that, Nick, because I think that's kind of expected. Now, if he plays extremely well in his rookie season, then, oh, my God, maybe they hit on a Jonathan Ogden type that no one saw coming, like an actual all-pro type offensive tackle. Because if he's going to be this good in his rookie season, it's only going to get better and better, obviously, as he acclimates himself. But I think, obviously, Nick, there needs to be some perspective with this pick. Of course. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. And I, I feel a lot of Giants fans will have that perspective. But I say that before that yeah. primetime sack uh, happens. Yeah. <laughs> at least I, I'm pretty sure we're not going to have, at least I hope we won't have a Monday night Ezekiel Lanza, Eric Flowers type situation materializing. No, 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 no. The, the days of Flowers are gone. If this turns out to be another Flowers pick, I'll be extremely surprised. This guy does not at all remind me of Eric Flowers. Neither does he with me. Having said that, a couple more quotes I did want to get your thoughts on, Nick, and see what you feel. Um, one thing that stood out to me, Joe Judd saying that he believes this pick will help Daniel Jones play more confidently. I don't take that as a knock on Jones. I like that comment because I think that a lot of the time last year, plays broke down, drives broke down, Jones fumbled the football, Jones threw an errant pass because he wasn't feeling comfortable with his protection on the left side from Nate Solder. Because let's be honest, a lot of those fumbles were on Solder. In my opinion, I, we'll have to go back one day and look at every fumble, but I would say 40% of those were on Solder, 30 40%. He just got destroyed on so many of those snaps so quickly, and that can't make you feel confident as a quarterback when you don't feel like you have the protection. If you feel like you have uh, somebody you can trust protecting your blind side, it gives you the opportunity to go through more of your reads, and not only that, to wait, if you have a if you have a route that you that needs a little bit more time to develop, but you know can be a big play based on the coverage that you're processing after the snap, you're gonna feel more confident waiting instead of having to get rid of the football to a secondary or third read that isn't gonna be a big play or that you know may not even work at all because you feel like you're gonna get that immediate pressure. And I felt like Jones started to feel that pressure a little bit. Obviously, people, you know, there's been a big discussion about this. It's not, he was a rookie, there's nothing to hide, there's not a knock on him, but he may have started to feel a little pressure down the stretch because his protection was so bad, especially at left tackle. Um, so I thought that was an interesting comment by Judge. Did you take that, at, you didn't take that as a knock on Jones, did you? I didn't take that as a slight on Jones whatsoever. Yeah. I feel like that applies to Tom Brady. That applies to sure. every quarterback. The more time you have in the pocket, the more comfortable you're going to be, especially when you're a rookie learning the ropes and acclimating to the speed of the NFL game. So I don't take that as a slight, but I know people are going to dive into that quote and they'll probably take it as a slight because Judge hasn't said Daniel Jones's name and all this kind of shit that mm. people like to throw out there. No doubt about it. A couple other things that interested me, Nick. Love this quote from Dave Gettleman. This is, I'm a wise guy sometimes with you folks. And I have done a study and I say it's tougher to complete passive when the guy is on his back. I think that was a big part of this pick. I have always gotten a chuckle out of people who say you draft a quarterback and then you have to get him weapons. No, you don't draft a quarterback and get him weapons. Once you draft a quarterback, you got you get the guys in front of him that will keep him upright. I could not agree more with Dave Gettleman's statement there. And I'm so happy, despite all the flaws of Gettleman as a general manager, and the things we don't like, the things I don't like, the things you don't like, the things the fans don't like, at least he's one of these GMs who understands 
that the offensive line is so much more important than the skill positions when it comes to having a winning football team and winning games, and that the offensive line is so much harder to find than the skill positions. And that's why you should be using early picks on it over the skill positions that are always better. By the way, more injury prone, smaller players, guys that are a dime a dozen, guys that you pay and then get injured and they have Hakeem Nicks, Mario Manningham. How many of these wide receivers the Giants go through that had short careers that didn't turn into 10 year careers? Oda, I mean, every single receiver the Giants hit on was a five year flash in the pan. They're hoping to get a 10 year starter out of an offensive tackle when you draft an offensive lineman like this you can potentially get 10 to 15 years of the position so i love to hear that nick that was one of the quotes that stood out to me from listening to dave gettleman after this pick no doubt man i mean just the the most important weapon for and it's not sexy for a young right it's not sexy quarterback who is learning a new system, a vertical system, which means he's going to be back in the pocket slightly longer than he would in the more quick yes. game kind of system, is a left tackle, is a blindside protector, is somebody to make sure you're not on your face or on your behind every other play getting hit. And that's what the Giants received tonight in the 2020 NFL draft. For sure. All right, Nick, couple more things to run through with this pick. And then we're going to move on to any others. I just want to get our overall takeaways from round one. And then finally, we're going to dive into our day two targets for the Giants. Because before we know it, the second round of the NFL draft is going to be underway. So one thing that stood out, one more thing that stood out to me about this pick was that Gettleman, and I and I think this was very important for them. And he basically said, when you or this was actually Joe Judge. He said, you watch him go against the top pass rushers on tape. And he does his job. He plays better in big games. And to me, that's very important. What we look for is guys who play their best and play hard at big stages. So just another example why they like Thomas. Good tape against Chase Zone. Good tape against um, Josh Allen. Guy who rises to the occasion in big games. Now, I have heard this go both ways. I have heard some, and I've read some people who are concerned with his effort level when the games aren't big. Um the good news is, in the NFL, every game is big. You're not going to have Georgia versus Arkansas Southern in week two. There's there's never going to have that issue. So that one doesn't bother me too much at all there, really. I wanted to know what you thought of that, though. I, I agree 100% with what you just said. I, I, I didn't notice on any of the film that I watched that he was taking games off. I don't feel like you can do that. At the, tack- at the tackle position because you always have someone lined up either slightly inside of you, way outside of you, over top of you as a four tech, on your outside shoulder as a five tech. So I never really saw that on the film. I don't know who said that, but um, I don't think it's going to be anything of a concern in the NFL because if you do that, you're going to get grossly exposed. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And it's not something that I've seen myself either. It's something that I've read uh, I can't tell you who. I've read so many scouting reports on so many of these players. But definitely something I've seen pop up a couple times, actually. But nothing like he's not giving full effort. It's just that he's it, they they think that the effort level is different in bigger games, things like that. But listen, there's a lot of opinions on a lot of these different players. And uh, more importantly, if that's not something that you're seeing, it's not something I'm seeing, it's not a concern of mine at all. One final thing on the Thomas pick before we turn the page here. I thought this was interesting, and it didn't get that much run on Twitter or whatnot. Sal Palantonio, who's pretty locked in, I would think, um, for most things, said that he reported this, that 
Joe Judge had a call to Andrew Thomas after the Giants made their selection and said, when you talk to the media, I don't want to hear anything about Super Bowls. He basically gave him the Bill Belichickian talk. And what Sal Powell also said was that Thomas really, or I'm sorry, that Joe Judge really wanted Andrew Thomas and Joe Judge pushed for the Giants to draft Thomas. So I thought that was super interesting. I did not see that report, but that's really interesting, which also yeah, is on ESPN thing. right now. That's excellent because if you think about it, Gettleman is kind of a stubborn uh, general manager, but last year Pat Shermer was reportedly high on Daniel Jones, so there must have been some sort of group think there and some sort of agreeance, and that obviously just happened if this report is true with him and Joe Judge. That seems to be a cohesive uh, environment with the general manager in the new Yeah, I don't think – I don't buy into any of that BS that there's not a cohesive environment there. I think all these picks are done in the way you just described. I think – He's a bit stubborn in his uh, in his ideas of how to build a roster. He truly believes there's a certain one way to do it, and that involves, you know, really making sure that you have a good run defense and a good run game. Two things that me and you are just not so sure should be placed a uh, high priority should be placed on. Do we want those two things? Sure. Do we think that you need to do those things first? I don't personally. I don't. I think the first thing you need to do is fix your pass off, and the second thing you need to do is fix your pass defense. Um, but again, I don't think that makes him stubborn as at, when it comes to who the giants are taking or anything like that. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, that Joe judge would pound the table for one of these four OTs and it being Andrew Thomas, that could be because of the versatility, the length and everything that we've just been going over for the last 40 minutes. Right. No doubt about that. All right, Nick, let's talk a little first round before we go on to our day two targets for the giants. Any surprises for you or anything that you want to touch on about the first round that caught your attention? Not in the top 10, really. It was pretty chalk. Tua to Miami was it all the time. So all the things that I heard back in January were uh, bogus. But Herbert to the Chargers, I wasn't 100% sure if that was going to happen. I thought maybe the Chargers were going to go tackle there. But they got their long-term quarterback of the future now. Will he start this season or will they go with Tyrod or will Tyrod have a short leash? That's kind of remains to be seen. But I thought that was somewhat interesting. But I mean, I thought C.J. Henderson was going to go to the Jags at figured the Browns would go with Wills and the Jets would go with one of the two remaining tackles. So everything was kind of uh, chalky for me. And then Atlanta, I thought would go corner, but they end up going AJ Terrell, which is a name that we've seen be mocked in the uh, top 20, despite not seeing many uh, draft analysts be on top of that and seeing him ranked in like the second round a lot. I haven't watched much AJ Terrell tape. I haven't uh, grinded his tape. I've watched Clemson defense, but I haven't seen enough of him, really. And then, obviously, C.D. Lamb going to Dallas. And I was like, ah, crap. C.D. Lamb, he's a very talented receiver who's going to be paired with another very talented receiver. I think he's the best receiver in this class. That that's the one once it got to 17 and I saw that and I was doing a lot of work and I looked up and I saw the TV and I saw a pick is in for the Cowboys. I'm like, oh, so who are the Giants going to be dealing with for the next four or five years? And I was like, C.D. Lamb. And I was like, okay, at least we got a. James Bradbury and DeAndre Baker, but uh, yikes! Because that's that offense is um is potent and it's scary. it was an, it was a big time value picnic, but uh, they just paid Amari Cooper, which to like I would love this pick if they could have just tagged Cooper and then not had to pay him after this. But when you just pay Cooper like that, adding Lamb, it seems a more of a luxury pick for a team that has more needs than they want to lead on the Dallas Cowboys. They seem like this great team with this great roster through and through. But what happened last year? There weren't that many injuries, and yet they 
were not a good team. They didn't make the playoffs in a crappy NFC East division and really didn't look that good at all, especially surprisingly on the defensive side of the ball, where instead of addressing, they took a luxury pick. Now, I'm never going to blame a team for taking my wide receiver one at 17 overall and a pick that's probably the best value if you're just looking at every position with the same positional importance or same positional uh, weight. But I don't know. I'm never a huge fan of taking receivers early, first of all. And especially if you just paid one and you just drafted a really good one, in my opinion, Michael Gallup, who's underrated. I don't know about this pick from that standpoint. It seems like it's the best pick because of that, but I don't know. That's where I I, I don't think Michael Gallup is going to be long for Dallas. Oh, I like Gallup. Okay. We might be different on that. Well, no, I like Gallup as well. But I think this draft pick might insinuate that he might not be looking at a second contract. Right. So yeah, yeah. I, oh no, he's definitely not looking that that's going to yeah. seal his fate that or they're going to get rid of Mari uh, a few years into that deal. But then again, Dallas is big on kicking the cap can down the road there. So it's like, I don't know how they structured that Cooper deal, but I mean, Dal- you got to think, man, Dallas last year, just watching a lot of their games, their offense just significantly struggled and would stop moving the football. And it was like, yo, what the heck is wrong? And maybe In the they think half. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, Oh yeah, those first like three, those first three games when they were playing what Washington, the Dolphins, and the Giants, and they were just beating up yeah. on them, and everyone was you know talking about like crazy talk. Dak MVP. Oh god, I remember that. But back to the the draft, dude. After seventeen is when I was like, whoa, whoa. I, before we go there, because it did get crazy <laughs> after seventeen. Before we go there, I did have one surprise early on. I agree, it was mostly chalk. I didn't like the, and this is crazy because I love the player. I didn't like the Cardinals going Isaiah Simmons over Jedrick Wills. If I'm the Cardinals, I look at my 2019 tape, and I think there's so much more meat left on that bone on offense with a, with a quarterback that I love in Kyler Murray. What I love about Murray the most is the freaking dimes he drops over the top in the deep passing game. And I read the quotes from Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury this offseason about how they felt like they couldn't really fully utilize their offense at all and an offense that, that he wants to be way more vertical. And how are you going to do that when all you do is re-sign DJ Humphreys, who kind of stunk, was pretty average, and they gave him a huge contract, and they didn't get one of these four offensive tackles? That was such, to me, it was a wasted opportunity there. And I'm not going to knock a team too much for taking Isaiah Simmons because I think he's the the second best non-quarterback in this draft. So they went best player available. Their defense isn't great, and they could use him. But I just thought it was a little weird. I have to actually agree with you, to be honest. I do feel it's weird. I, I do not want to knock them, though. But you give Vance Joseph this creative piece to the puzzle, yeah, this, well, this movable yeah. chess piece, and that's excellent. But they did just sign Devondre Campbell to be their inside linebacker, and they have Jordan Hicks there to be their Mike. Obviously, they have Chandler Jones. Uh, Devon Kennard they brought in, who's more of an end and an edge guy. But I guess they really want that future face of the – Cardinals defense and I'm guessing Joseph is probably going to use him in that multitude of different ways uh, I did though think they were going to go tackle just because you, yeah. you need to protect Kyler Murray and you just added DeAndre Hopkins in a what you would call one of the biggest steals of a trade and uh, but when I saw his name pop up I got to be honest I wasn't like oh wow that's a shock I was like okay no. you fell to eight you know yeah, yeah, so like know. it's still a huge value man and and again I, this is kind of the same position the Giants were facing young quarterback developing do you take the tackle or do you take the best player available? So that so I can't really knock them considering I probably would have been fine if the Giants had taken Simmons. 
Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from. Maybe they are have high grades on some of the tackles that were selected maybe later in the first round, who they thought could be around in the second round, yeah, like an sure. Austin Jackson, or maybe they were high on guys who were even still around, like Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, Lucas Yang, and all those kind of guys. But let's Speaking go back to of Austin Jackson. That's <laughs> when the draft got a little crazy. Yeah, man, to pick 18, Austin Jackson to the Dolphins, I was like, goo, that's exactly what I said, because I don't think this guy can really start right now, at least effectively, (laughs) and I thought it was a a huge reach, especially for a team that had another first-round selection, so, I mean, I I trust Brian Flores, he seems like he really knows what he's doing, and that whole operation down there seems to uh, kind of be on the path to success, even though they've been mediocre for the last geez, basically since I've been alive. So I, he's going to need a lot of development. I'll tell you that much, or he's going to find himself on the ground quite often. No doubt about that. And then Damon Arnett comes off the board to the Raiders. That was also a little bit of a, I'm not going to knock that one though, because I think the corner evaluations are, are so dependent on, on system fit. They are. I, I'm just not going to, and I was, besides the two corners in this draft that I thought were the clear tier one corners, Akuda and Henderson, and boy, did I cash some money on that Henderson minus under 16 half. I wish I had bought back in at under 12 and a half, honestly. There was just no doubt a corner like that wasn't going to go in the top 10, considering how bad it was after it. Not bad, but how uncertain it was after it. But he seems so excited to be drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go there? I guess it is hometown, though. He played his ball at Florida. But again, I'm not going to knock a team for, for, for the way they drafted the corners there. But then comes up an interesting pick that people have been criticizing that I'm not going to criticize. Jalen Rager to the Eagles at 21 over Justin Jefferson is pretty much what people are talking about. Do you hate that pick as much as the Eagles fans do? Uh, I I haven't really studied Jalen Rager's tape as much as I probably should have. I've seen like maybe one game, and I know he drops a lot of passes, but... When he went to the combine, it didn't run as well. I think he ran in the four fives, was it? Like I was pretty shocked because I thought his play speed was was above average. But no, I, I didn't hate the pick. I think um No, I, I think tr- it was four four eight, but he was expected to be like one of those four two, four three guys. Yeah, no, yeah, you're you're a hundred percent right. I mean, I, I value Justin Jefferson more. I've also been exposed to Jeffer- Justin Jefferson in the LSU offense a lot more than I have TCUs. But uh, I think they're looking for somebody who can kind of just eat up the middle of the field and play boundary and slot, which I believe right. Justin Jefferson can as well, even though he played only basically played only slot. in the slot. Yeah. 19, 2018, he played boundary receiver. But I guess it just came down to which type of receiver they wanted. And right. for whatever reason, they valued Rager a little bit more. But I just hope the kid, I mean, maybe I hope he does, but I, for his sake, I hope he doesn't start dropping a lot of passes early on in his career because mm. he has had a case of the drop season. We know the Eagles fans don't take too kindly to no, Nelson not after Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar. Yep. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> doubt about it. But I don't hate this pick. I actually like Jalen Rager a lot. I have Justin Jefferson rated higher. I thought he's clearly a better player, but Rager, Rager for me was up there on my wide receiver board, like over T Higgins type and over Brandon Ayu, who people like. I like Rager a lot. I think he was held back by his quarterback play. I think he's extremely explosive. Yeah, he didn't time out in the four twos or four threes like people expected, but you look at his broad and his vertical jump and you just see an explosive player athlete there. Um, so I, I think this could end up being a good one for them. A couple other interesting picks I want to get your take on. The Saints, after trading up last year to fill the hole left by their retired, uh, I'm not forgetting his name, who was their awesome center they had who retired before last Max, season? Max Unger. Unger, surprising retirement. Then they went up and got McCoy, 
who was awesome last year at center, and then they drafted Cesar Ruiz. Now, Ruiz has played guard, obviously, and I think that's what they're gonna where they're going to try to play him. Um, and I am never going to knock a team for taking offensive line. This is part of the reason the Saints have been so damn good for so long. They never neglect the damn offensive line. They keep firing off Ruiz, McCoy. They took Ramchek in 2017. They're just never letting it go. So Taron Armstead. Andres, Andres Pete. Pete. Yeah, they just don't yeah. care. They're just going to keep pouring. And you know what? They've been good for a while, so it seems like it's working. But I did think it was interesting given their, their roster set up. I thought the same thing. Right when they dra- drafted Ruiz, I was like, they took a center out of Texas A&M last year, and now they're going with Ruiz. But I was like, Ruiz can play guard. He, he has positional versatility, and I love it because that Saints offense has been a little bit more run heavy over the last right. couple years. That Mark Ingram and Alvin Kumara one-two punch was good. Then the Latavius Murray, Alvin Kumara one wasn't as potent, but I believe they're going to get back to that. Maybe they'll add another running back in the draft later on because there are some talented running backs that could be found later on in this draft. But just having Eric McCoy and Cesar Ruiz on that interior part of the line with Andres Pete, who was a first-round pick in 2015 at tackle but is now playing guard, that's going to be a very formidable <laughs> interior offensive line that you can really run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, set up the play action, open up Michael Thomas behind those linebackers, and then set up the deep ball for Drew Brees while also throwing Taysom Hill into the mix. So I, I actually like the pick because, as you and I yeah. said, Dan, we, we said the Saints are one of those teams, there's not many of them, but one of those teams in the NFL that kind of have a luxury pick all over mm-hmm. the place. They can take the best player available because they've built a roster that is good enough to to really be drafting in that kind of light. And well, I can't wait for the Giants to get there, but they're not quite there yet. So I, I, I like the pick for the Saints. Yeah, and listen, as far as that goes, they're probably in it smart because they, they could use another weapon at wide receiver, but they also know there's going to be a million weapons at that position deep into this freaking draft. So why be the dumb team that takes one now when, you could, when you're not going to get a Ruiz later in this draft? Like, stop pushing Hennessy up your boards. He's nowhere near Ruiz. Let's be clear about that. So, so we'll get to that soon in our day two targets. He ain't one of them for me at 36, but... Uh, that's a little spoiler there, but how about the craziest pick of the draft, Nick, for me? And actually it was followed by one that might be even crazier, but Jordan (laughs) Love, the Packers trading up for Jordan Love with Aaron Rodgers under contract through 2024 said already has said on record. He wants to play through at least age 40 season. He's 36 years old. By that point, if he does play through his age 40 season, Jordan Love's rookie contract will have expired unless Aaron Rodgers misses time. Uh, with injuries and Jordan Love pulls a Jimmy Garoppolo and has like a nice four game stretch where he looks awesome. It's going to be really hard for them to get a draft pick back in a trade anywhere near this first round pick. I thought this was a disaster pick by the Packers. I don't even really like Love that much as a prospect. He has awesome arm talent, but people comparing to Mahomes are, are, are a joke to me. His arm talent is nowhere near Mahomes. I don't want to hear any quarterback compared to Mahomes, Nick, for the next five years, unless there really is a Mahomes-like arm talent that comes through. And I had very skeptical we're going to see an arm talent like Mahomes in a long time. So what did you make of this? I was I was shocked by it, and I know Aaron Rodgers. Like He has that kind of personality to where this is going to rub him in such, a, such oh, the man. wrong way because— <laughs> You're, he's still playing at a high level. They're tailoring the offense more, a little bit more around the run game, and it's not necessarily because he's falling off a cliff or anything like that. And then they make it to the NFC title game last season, and they get the ball run down their freaking throats and totally embarrassed by the San Francisco 49ers. And there are linebackers on the board named Patrick Queen, 
Jordan oh my Brooks. God, don't even get to defensive lineman like Jordan Brooks. Did you just mention Jordan Brooks? Yes, I did because I, I you still like him as you like this pick for the Seahawks. We can spoil no, this. No, not at all. But okay. I feel like adding a run stuffing linebacker, someone who could play the run, is would behoove them after they've just gotten yeah, embarrassed they lost, Blake, and lost right. Blake Martinez. So yeah. they need to invest in that linebacker position. They need to invest in that defensive line. There's guys like Ross Blacklock. There's guys like Neville Gallimore who are still around. Yep. There is a lot of talent still here. And you go and you spend the pick on. Jordan Love, that basically you're, you're telling Aaron Rodgers, look, you got one, maybe two years here. Right. And if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I, I'm taking that as such disrespect because we, so disrespectful. we were almost at the we were we as a team were almost at the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. And instead of helping us get over that hump, you're drafting my replacement. So it's obvious the Packers and Aaron Rodgers are on two totally different planes yeah. right now. And that's, I mean, that's yeah, I mean, after the pick, their GM said he hasn't even talked about it yet with Rodgers. Who the hell makes that kind of pick and doesn't at least t- float it by this? And, this and they trade stuff. They trade it up too, Dan. Yeah. They so it wasn't even like he fell and you're like, oh, you know, he fell and we really like him. Let's see what happened. No, they Same. traded assets to jump the Seattle Seahawks. So, it, it, yeah, it's just crazy stuff. This is when it started to get crazy a little. I mean, like. The Seahawks taking Jordan Brooks at 27. I actually mentioned him laughably. I tweeted about this. I laughably mentioned him on our sleepers pod, Nick. I actually thought this guy, because like obviously there was all the concerns about his pass coverage. He's a he's an old school linebacker, you know. Somebody you, you probably shouldn't be investing a first round pick in an old school linebacker with serious coverage issues that may or may not ever get better. I know he ran a four five, but like that was like that doesn't mean you're going to be a great co- you're going to evolve into a great coverage linebacker. This was an absolute disaster pick for me. And then of course the Ravens. Why not the team that has just been knocking the draft out for a decade plus falls right into their laps. Gift wrapped at Patrick Queen at 28. Just gift wrapped. I know you're not as high as I am on Queen, but you're pretty damn high yourself. Am I right? Oh, of course. I love Patrick Queen. Let me just touch on Seattle, dude. All right. I don't know what John Schneider does with his first round because he kills the draft. Yeah. But it's like he like sacrifices the first round picks to allow his later picks to be really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, LJ Collier last year. And I know LJ. I, I got to meet. I was his uh, advisor at the senior bowl. And like I, I saw him and I saw him on the field and everything. And I just I, I had like a fourth round grade out on him Oof. after interacting with him and, and everything, getting to know the kid a little bit. And then Rashad Penny the year before Malik McDowell was the second round pick out of Michigan State who had serious character concerns the year before that. I just don't know what they do with their first round picks. Any yikes. It's 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 abysmal, especially when Patrick Queen's sitting there. And this is what happens with good football teams, man. I swear to God, they get <laughs> the the they get the benefit of luck sometimes, and Patrick Queen falls right to Ravens, and he is going to be excellent in Wink Martindale's. God, he's going to be so good with the Ravens. It's insane. I'm glad. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad the Giants aren't in the uh, AFC North. That's, that's all yeah. I got to say. And then the rest of the draft kind of plays out. I mean, Isaiah Wilson to the Titans seems like it makes sense. It's like a, just a nice cookie cutter replacement for Jack Conklin, pretty much at right tackle. Um, and then obviously the, the big one was Chiefs really making. The splash with Clyde Edwards Healer. I love the fact that DeAndre Swift wasn't the first running back. Most overrated player for me, probably in this draft class when I'm just considering all positions. I don't even think I don't think he should go next, by the way, but we'll see what happens there. And then I mean Honestly, I'm 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 happy that Clyde Edwards Hilaire made yeah, it to right? the first round because I even just after the four six. I don't see a lot to not like. He doesn't have that breakaway speed, right. but that's the most overrated thing when it comes to a running back. Yep. 
So I'm and like I, <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be a fantasy stud. Did you hear what Andy Reid said about him? What did he say? So this is a crazy quote. So John Veach, uh, the Chiefs GM, was like, I watched, you know, he's the GM. He's putting in more work, obviously, than the head coach when it comes to the film and evaluation of these players. And he said that when he was watching his tape, uh, Clyde Edwards, tape, he was reminded of Brian Westbrook. So he goes to read, go watch this guy's tape. Tell me if you see Brian Westbrook. Reed comes back to him and says, I think he's better than Brian Westbrook. It's like, what the fuck? And like, yeah. if you watch Clyde Edwards Lair, he's just unbelievably good. Like, the only thing that reason he was getting knocked is that forty time. It's literally all you can find. Ne- the only negative in his game, he, he and his good. size, and his size. I forgot, and his size. But I like, I like a running back who's a I little. Bit, what is he like? Five nine, he's like five eight, I think. Yeah. Two twenty five though. He's he's a compact yeah. bowling it's ball. Really very Maurice Jones Drew esque. Excellent, excellent vision, excellent contact balance. He can catch yeah. out of the backfield. He's a good route runner, and he's solid in pass route position. runner in this yeah. class by far at his position. Yeah, but le- I, I, I noticed you skipped over the number thirty pick, and I think there's a reason why. Because that's that was a pretty intriguing pick. Too. Oh, you don't like that one? No, no, I don't mind it. Noah Igbenogany from Auburn with the two uh, highest paid cornerbacks already on their roster. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that. <laughs> That one, I was like, whoa, but I think That's it can, a luxury be, can, be, can be developed. I think he has the upside to be one of the better corners in this class, possibly three behind Henderson right. and Okuda because he is such a good athlete. But uh, I thought that was a little shocking, uh, too. I, the Dolphins handled this draft uh, in a strange way, but I'm interested to see how it kind of develops over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, they're they're going for it at the corner position. They're clearly prioritizing pass coverage over pass rush. We've heard this a lot of the time. A lot of analytics these days are saying way more important to build out your pass coverage than your pass rush because quarterbacks and are getting rid of the football so fast. Almost every offense is designed to get rid of the football fast. Um, so we'll see if that plays out. The Patriots have done it with a lot of success. Uh, looks like the Giants have taken that turn. Last draft, they drafted a lot of defensive backs. Um, and then they added a defensive back in free agency with their big splash in James Bradbury. And, you know, people panicking about the pass rush, but maybe the Giants are also following in that direction as well. But on that note, Nick, let's dive a little bit into day two because the Giants are going to be on the board very shortly. They're going to be on the board at pick 36. So that's 33, 34, 35, three more picks to go. And the Giants are back on the clock unless they trade back. So there's a lot to talk about. Should they trade back? They take a player on the board. Who are we targeting? Let's start with this question, Nick. Based on the talent left on the board, would you trade back from 36 if you had the opportunity? I personally would trade back. I mean, if a player like Zach Bond is available, I'm going to be tempted to not. But I still think it's very important to get more picks between 36 and 99. It's a big gap, and there's a lot of talented players, and there's still holes on this roster, and there's still spots that need significant competition, especially from these. We've talked about the benefit of adding younger players because they're going to be on their rookie deal. And with this loaded class, that just two things go together, and that would really uh, just enhance the Giants' ability to keep these guys on the cheap uh, for the next four years. So I really want to trade back. Again, like we always say, takes two to tango. But there are so many talented players still around that it's a possibility that there's going to be some more movement like we saw at the end of the first round. I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants trade out of 36 and get an extra day two pick and maybe even a day three pick depending on how far back they go. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting, Nick, because if Zach Bond's on the board at 36, it's so hard for me to want to trade back, but it goes against everything I preach, which is 
don't fall in love with prospects and always understand the draft is a crapshoot and always understand that more picks the better, especially in a year like this where the Giants aren't going to be back on the board after 36 until 99 unless they trade a future draft pick or unless they trade this pick. So I think push comes to shove, Nick. Even if Bond is on the board, I'd probably trade that pick back, and that's crazy for me to say because I think Bond could be such an impact game changer for this defense, but it doesn't matter. You can't fall in love with prospects like that over the process, and the process is the more swings you have, like you just said, on those four-year rookie contracts cheap, and now we're in the super cheap range, by the way. The minute you leave round one, we're talking about guys that are going to be like one to two million cap hits for four straight years. These are the guys that make or break Super Bowl rosters. If you hit on these guys, you're are just that is an incredible advantage from a salary cap standpoint, from a roster building standpoint. So for me, I'm I'm definitely open to it and I'd lean toward it. I don't know if they'll find any takers. They're in a good spot to find trade takers if they do want to trade though. And if they do trade back, Nick, I think what they're gonna I think I'm hoping what they do is take one of these safeties because there's still four the four top safeties on my board are all still there. And we can talk about targets now, but because this will be interesting, Nick, actually. I'm intrigued by your thoughts here because Xavier McKinney is still on the board, but he's not the guy I would take right now if I'm the Giants. I would take Davis, and uh, I would take uh, Ashton Davis over him. I'd be tempted to take Winfield over McKinney. I, McKinney can play the slot for the Giants. He can do a lot of things. I don't really think he fits the exact role they need, though, at safety, even if he is maybe a slightly overall better player because of his versatility. And then, obviously, there's still Grant Delpit on the board. Another safety. When these, how many drafts are we going to hit round two? And there's three potential single high safeties in Delpit, uh, Winfield, and Ashton Davis. Like it's crazy. You never see safeties with this kind of range in the draft class, and they're all still there on day on day two. So, who are some targets for you, and where do you view that safety conundrum? Yeah, if we stay in the safe with the safety, yeah. Del- uh, Winfield to me, I'm not sure if his range is a single high ability. I'm sure he could do it, but I don't know if it's like a consistent level. Whereas Delpit and Ashton Davis, I'm more confident when it comes to that. And looking at these guys, man, you have to throw Xavier McKinney's name into the mix because he is an incredibly smart defender, reads routes very well, has a very quick trigger. He's a physical tackler. Mm-hmm. Come down yep. in the box, play the slot. He could do all those things well. He could do a multitude of different things for your defense, but his hips are not as fluid as those other other safeties I just mentioned. He's not as good covering uh, from the far hash to the sideline, which is a very hard thing to do. But on certain throws, players like Davis and players like Delphic can probably locate and get to that area. And I think that is very important. Now, Ashton Davis, I feel even though the consensus is Delpit is a is a better prospect, and Delpit might have a quicker trigger and might uh, realize things a little bit faster than Ashton Davis, but his tackling woes are really concerning. Very. Whereas Ashton Davis doesn't have those tackling woes, and he's still incredibly physical, has great range, excellent ball skills, and uh, he's a smart player in his own right, and he's still developing into into the safety position because he was a walk-on at Cal as a track athlete. So I think Ashton Davis might be my favorite out of those, but I mean, Delpit's right there too. And if there, it's kind of hard with COVID-19 going on, but if the NFL has any kind of insight on if Delpit's shoulder and ankle injuries were really preventing right. him, which it doesn't really seem like on the film because he puts himself in excellent position. He's not hesitant to hit Grant no. Delpit, but it's just like he gets into the position, just loses all balance, and he's like so a drunk, odd. like a drunk person at like two o'clock in the morning, and just like falls on himself. It's, it's very so frustrating. So odd. So odd. But I, it, 
I'm sticking with it. I want Davis. Davis to me is the safety one, especially for the Giants. I'm not if I'm taking a safety here at 36, or even if they trade back to 45, Nick. I don't want a McKinney. I don't want a Collins. I don't, you know, I don't. I Collins was awesome, so like I don't want to say him, but like I need someone with the range. I'm not going for this. They already have Jero Peppers on this roster. They already have Julian Love on this roster. I need that game-changing, you rarely find type of range from the safety position, and that's what I see with Davis. I mean. I you see I see it a little bit more than you do with Winfield. I know he doesn't have the same kind of athletic range, but I just those instincts for Winfield. Instincts I just think he's just he's just I like him a lot. And McKinney's definitely probably the best overall player of those guys. Though I do think Davis probably is the most upside because he's still learning the position. He just looks like he shot out of a cannon going either way down, really just going downhill in the run game or in the pass game. So. For me, I, I'm still going to go Davis there, but it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely something interesting to think about. What about the pass rushers for you? Are those guys targets for you outside of Bond? Guys like AJ Epinesa who fell, um, and then obviously Yatir Gross Matos from Penn State. Two guys who maybe were maybe expected to go in round one. I don't know if I necessarily see the fit there with Epinesa. He's going to be in a void for me. I want to see where you stand on those two. With Epinesa, actually, both of those are on the article that's dropping on Big Blue View. You guys should check it out. There's a bunch of names of everyone that interests the Giants. But as for Epinesa, man, I feel like he fits the criteria for Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman because he is a smart and powerful end. And we saw Daniel Jeremiah come out recently and talk about Belichick's defense and how they predicate power and run-stopping ability. But where is he going to play now? Edge. That's the issue. <laughs> I think he would be a five-tech for the Giants. The Giants have a bunch of defensive God. linemen. So it's I can't even... I yeah. can't do it, Nick. I can't do no. another interior defensive lineman on oh, this I defense. I agree. I, I think I have... I think I like Epinesa better than, than you do, but for the Giants, I'm not really a fan of it right here because the Giants, like we've said, they're so deep at defensive line and they have holes all over the roster, so you need to... And I'm all about drafting best player available, but if the... Grades are close, man. You need to go after and fill those holes and make your roster more complete instead of just adding depth to a position where you've added so many, so, so much depth and so many assets to over the last several years. And Epines is an edge, but he's really more of a, a five three tech. edge. And I don't even know if he's a five. Is he really a five tech? To me, he's too small to play that position for the Giants. What was he, 275? Yeah, but he's not that long, really. I think he has like 34-inch arms. I think his arms are, are kind of long. but uh, Can you imagine than... him dropping in coverage if they play him in a different role? Like, off the... Uh, he's not, so unathletic. He's, like, he's, he's not that kind of edge. He, no. You can't drop him in the coverage. He's a power. Oh. He's a powerful run stuffer with power moves who's very intelligent. Sure. But he doesn't have those ex- those explosive traits, the lateral agility. Power moves that worked against Big Ten offensive tackles. Are they going to work at the next level? Exactly, exactly. And that that's my concern with Epinesa, and that's why he's not necessarily somebody I, I want. But I could see why Gettleman would like him. Yeah. And I could oh, see I could definitely judge. see why they might like him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about Gross Modest, though? Because he actually intrigues me, and I want to know what you think about him, because I don't know as much as I should about him. Yeah, I, I've done I've done a couple games on Gross Matos, and I loved his flexibility. I feel like he's light on his feet. I feel like he has lightning quickness, kind of eluding blocks and like crashing down into the interior gaps, like the B gap and such like that. Has pretty solid bend and dip around the edge, can dip through contact, has active hands. I, I don't really know about his coverage skills, though, as a 3-4 yeah. outside linebacker. He doesn't necessarily seem like that would translate. I didn't see it all too often on film in the in the couple of games that I watched of Penn State's defense. But 
I think he could be because he's like like two hundred and sixty five pounds or two hundred sixty six pounds. He's six foot two sixty six six five. Yep. Yeah, it seems a little big for that three four outside linebacker to drop into coverage, but I think there could be. Uh, I think he's more of a four three end, but I think there might be a, a way to utilize him. But I just don't know about that mobility in space. I, I really don't. That's something yeah. that I do question. And there might be better fits in this draft, uh, lighter players that are a little bit more twitched up. Even though I do like Rosmatos's twitch, he does have good explosiveness and a good first step too. So I don't want that to be mistaken. But he does need to add, put a little bit more sand in his ass against the mm-hmm. run. I don't think he's terrible in that light. Like some people make him out to be, but he definitely needs to improve there. But uh, if his name is, uh, if his name is called, I will be intrigued to see how he is utilized in the defense and again the defense with patrick graham we're going on projection we haven't seen it with the Mm -hmm. new giants we're thinking it's going to be that hybrid front that was employed with new england we're thinking that it's going to be something similar to what miami did in 2019 but at the same time patrick graham could be one of the coaches who kind of tailors his system around the personnel that he has and his personnel in miami is a lot different than his personnel in new york so that is something to consider as well yeah, it's interesting, too, because you mentioned that. And I like his twitch a little bit more than Epinesa, so I'd probably like him more. Yeah, but definitely. athletically speaking, he compares most athletically to two players. Epinesa's one of them, 91 percentile comparison. And then Romeo Aquara, another 4-3. And so ultimately, I just don't, I just don't know if I see the fit. Yeah, and when you look at the other edges that are available, Dan, it, it doesn't seem like a lot of them meet that value at – 36 guys like Bradley right. and I Curtis Weaver Julian O'Quara I think you can make an argument for there even though it might be a little rich but there's not this isn't the deepest edge group there, yeah. there really isn't and which is unfortunate again I feel like the giant like like you said man there could there could have been a Jonathan Ogden in this draft and the Giants probably would have got him there wasn't yeah, like Andrew Thomas but that would have been excellent and these these sometimes there's edge groups that are just deep and you can nail those yep. picks in this in these 30 ranges but it's just it's just not 2020 not man. this class yeah uh, interesting a couple other players that i want to get your take on this is a player who i've seen some compared to chase winovich who i think would be an amazing fit for the giants defense if he is that and that's josh uche at the edge out of michigan do you see him as maybe just a great fit for graham i know you know i never was really too impressed by uche but I maybe I overlooked it there, and maybe I just overlooked the, also the fit for the Giants. What do you think there? Is that a player who could be in play at some point on day two? Uh, 36 does feel a little rich for it, probably, but if they trade back, maybe. I don't like the tweener role. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't like that tag. And I, I saw Uche down at the Senior Bowl, and I thought he showed some good off-ball kind of skills the lions coaching staff was using him off ball and he was showing okay. some covered skills in space and he was split out wide on running backs and i was like oh okay he's very interchangeable and he's very versatile but he's six foot one 241 yeah. pounds i don't know if that's going to be i what is he a situational pass rusher like you yeah, can't you put him put out that? there on, uh, if you put him out there on running downs he'll kill you yeah. Offensive coordinator is going to run right at him. And what did he play? I think he played 50% of the snaps yep. at Michigan. So they couldn't even figure Don Brown couldn't even figure out a way to consistently use him. And that is concerning for me at 36. Fair. I think he could be a good sub package rusher early on while he develops. I love, I think he generates for a 241 pounder. I think he generates a lot of power and explosiveness through his uh, hips, which you, you see when he backs Tristan Wirfs up into the pocket uh, in their game. But I, I, I'm a little concerned. If that's the pick, then again, I, I really hope he can hold up against the run because I can see the Cowboys running directly at him if he's out there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. I mean, I didn't even realize six foot one. Yikes. I mean, you can't have that guy setting the edge in the run game for you. 
No, no. And he'd probably he could, have to convert to the to to the off ball. Like he'd probably have to go inside for the Giants. That, that's what I think too. I think he would have to kick inside, and then like saying that is easy. Doing it is, right, exactly is makes him a projection. Like yikes. Okay, I'm out on that one. How about the interesting one though? How about the interesting wrinkle here, Nick? Josh Jones is still on the board. Me and you are both pretty high on Josh Jones, the offensive tackle out of Houston. Would it make sense though to double up on offensive tackle? You have Nate Solder. Contract can't be cut anytime soon until next offseason. You have Cam Meredith, who signed decent amount of guarantees. You could you cut did it, it again. Oh, shit. Cam <laughs> Fleming. I think I'm going to call this guy Cam Meredith. By the way, I apologize for the for dropping an S-bomb there. But I think I'm going to call this what guy Cam Meredith for the rest of the time because I can't get it. I was writing something up today for on for CBS, and I, and I wrote it again. I wrote Meredith, and I was like, <laughs> the hell am i doing and i corrected that one luckily this one i couldn't get but cam fleming you got him under contract decent guarantees gates maybe they can say okay we'll kick inside he'll be a depth guard he'll be a depth center but i don't know if you're gonna have four tackles really going into the season that you don't see often you really see usually that one swing tackle so roster wise i don't know how it would really work but would be the value be too good to pass up there for you if jones is on the board it it would depend on what else is on the board, and I think it's yeah. you can look at what Gettleman and Judge said in their presser earlier today. They mentioned how all of their tackles are interchangeable. They can all they're all versatile. They can play right and left side. Some of them can play interior. And if they do actually feel that way, then the gates being inside is a real thing. I think it really sure. comes down to how they view Nate Solder long term, and by long term, I mean through the twenty twenty one season. So. It looks like, especially if he has a down 2020, he's going to be cut because the cap the cap hit is not that bad. But with Josh Jones, man, if they value him at a somewhat high rate, would they think about doubling down? I don't think it would be the craziest thing. I really no. don't. I don't I think, think they're going to go that either. direction. But I wouldn't hate it, to be honest. I, I yeah. really don't think I would hate it. <laughs> I don't think I, I would hate it. A, I agree with you on that. B, I don't think they're going to go in that direction, though. I, I, I'm still going to stick to this. I don't think there's any chance they don't go defender here on day two with basically like all their pay. They got to start putting putting talent on this defense. You can't put Patrick Graham in the same position you put James Betcher in. Otherwise, we're going to cycle through another defensive coordinator, not knowing if it was really his fault or the fact that there was just absolutely no talent. Remember, guys, people keep forgetting this. The Giants, out of all 32 teams in the NFL last year, allocated the least salary cap space to the defense out of all 32 teams. They went back-to-back offensive players. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, first picks in back-to-back years. They went with an offensive guard in this, with their high second-round pick two years ago. They <laughs> they didn't give Betcher, in my opinion, much of a chance from a talent standpoint. And if they do the same thing with Graham, it's just – it's going to be more of the same. This, to me, is almost a must defend. They have to start addressing defense immediately, even though, we, of course, we want a center. But I'm hoping they can get one, you know, at pick 99 or on day three. And as far as the tackle goes, it, it, it would be more of a luxury pick. But at the same time, I wouldn't hate it, Nick, because if they, if Jones is as good as I think he could be and, and Thomas is, is lives up to his expectations, they could maybe not have to worry about that position for the next – eight to 10 years, which is like so much upside to not have to worry about tackle. Like it's insane to even think about, like that's where the Cowboys are at right now, basically. And like, if you don't have to worry about tackle, you're in such a good spot. The one player I will disagree with you on a little bit here is center. Well, the position is center. And I, I could see them being interested in both Cushionberry. And I know you're not going to like this one, but Matt Hennessy, it just seems like there have been, Ugh. there's been steam going in that direction. It does seem like there's been steam going in that direction. I don't really see like, 
my problem with that pick is both with both Hennessy and Cushenberry. Do you see? Do you? Let me ask you something. Do you when you see those guys? Do you see McCoy, the 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 center that Saints trade up for? I think they took him at forty five last year. Immediate impact center. Do you see that with either of them? I don't, in the sense that I think McCoy has a lot more power and a lot more move moving ability. McCoy was awesome, dude. Yes, I loved McCoy. I had a a really strong evaluation on McCoy. I think we're forcing it here with Henny. We're forcing it. It's a forced pick. I agree. I, I don't feel Hennessy uh, has that kind of power at the point of attack. I think he could be like a, you know, adequate to solid starter, maybe. But that's not adequate to solid starter at thirty six. Oh, hundred percent. Cushionberry, I think, could be. Cushionberry, I think, will be a solid starter, and he has those leadership traits that we know Gettleman does value. I just wish he was a little bit stronger at the point of attack yeah. too. Doesn't get as much drive, but his hips and his ability in pass protection, his active hands, those are all things that are a very good portion or part of his game. So there's there's a lot of value in Cushionberry, but I do want to center, like you said, like a McCoy, someone who can just drive a nose tackle and turn him and seal him away yep. from uh, the play side A gap, stuff like that. But it doesn't seem like there's there's a lot of them in this draft. And Ruiz wasn't even necessarily that and he's probably and he's more of that than Cushionberry and Hennessy are. For sure. And listen, I'm not trying to say listen, I understand the importance of upgrading this offense center position. Me and Nick have talked extensively. We believe center plays a much bigger role in wins and losses than probably most people believe. And we understand that this is a major need for the Giants. Like Spencer Pulley, a freaking a John Jalapio coming off an Achilles, and maybe Nick Gates is not is not great. But that doesn't mean you can force it. This goes back to the needs versus BPA, but not even. This just goes into forcing picks. You can't force it. In my opinion, if McCoy was, if this was last draft, and you told me right now, uh, they they take maybe McCoy at thirty six, I I'd, I'd be open to that. I really would, but I'm not open to it with Hennessy. I'm not open to it. this. Is not to me. This is a bit of an overrated center class, in my personal opinion. After Ruiz, I don't really. I like Biotish, but there's injury concerns there anyway, and there's a couple sleepers. But I liked Tennessee a lot more when he was talked about in the 99 range. Now that he's been propped up into this 36 range, potentially, I, I just I don't see it. I, I happen to agree with that. But there's one other position group we're going to go over that you and I both aren't fans of, but has to at least be brought up because there's so many interesting names oh, there. Oh, yeah. I know where and you're that, going with this. And that is, of course, wide receiver. Now, I'm going to eliminate Michael Pittman Jr., from this scenario, because I know he will be your default selection. I'm going to give you three names, and I want you to say— No, I like, I like Mims more. I, Mims is still on the board. I like Mims more. Okay. So Go I'm going to give you two names. <laughs> I'm going to give you two Actually, names. Actually, I don't know if I like Mims more. I take that back. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to just eliminate Mims from the conversation. He would have been the other name, but two oh. names. T. Higgins from Clemson or LaVisca okay. Chenault from Colorado, which one would you, would you be uh, a little bit more happy about if the Giants did go this direction after trade back or even at 36, which neither of us want? And I can't say Pittman instead? No, because it would be Pittman and Mims for me. Uh, one Or maybe even Mims-Pittman. That that one, I, I don't know. Yeah. Jeez. I'm not really 100% sure. But yeah, just between Chenault and Higgins, because something tells me that the Giants might be interested in Higgins. Like, I don't think they'll go that direction. But I, <laughs> God. Uh, I'm gonna div- I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna go KJ Hamler, who I like, who I'd rather have more than both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that yeah, you know what? That option B, I really like that. I've been putting a lot of polls up on Twitter, and then the the other in the comment section have been on fire. So give me Brian Edwards too. I I, I don't want Higgins no matter what. And Chenault is intriguing to me, Nick, for he sure. Is, He's so like explosive. really intriguing. Yeah. Uh, I 
Yeah, all right, Chanel. I'll go Chanel. In your scenario, I'll go Chanel. Just in my scenario, but again, I like I, yeah, no, I, I think he just had core muscle surgery right after the combine, which yeah, was the reason he true. ran that. Yep, that four, five, eight, but he's much faster than that. And you get the ball in his hands, and it could be dangerous. But again, there's people later in the draft, like Antonio Gibson, that you could find uh, a little bit later, the kid from Memphis, and. Yeah. I mean, we have so many guys. We've won yeah, a exactly. sleeper pod. It's you don't have they they can't do receiver. They don't have that kind of luxury right now. I really hope not, but we'll see. All right, Nick. Any other targets we didn't hit that you want to touch on? I think Ezra Cleveland is an interesting yeah. name to bring up. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is an offensive tackle from Boise State who played through a turf toe. Uh, excellent mirroring skills. His name was being talked about in the first round a lot. Reportedly, Cleveland Browns were really interested in him. They just went with Jedrick Wills, so are they still interested in them after bringing in Jack Conklin? Probably not. But the interesting thing about Cleveland is his mirroring ability and, and just overall athletic ability is incredible. But his strength at the point of attack, not as good. And he's anchor, not as good. But was that a result of a turf toe. So I think his name is an interesting name and one name that won't really concern the giants, but I feel like is kind of a just interesting player in general is the Oklahoma quarterback, Jalen hurts, who obviously uh, was the Alabama quarterback. And I'm really curious on where he's going to end up. Yeah. I, I think he could be, I think he's going to go tomorrow for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think he could be a second round pick. If I were running an NFL franchise, I would take him over. From for sure, <laughs> that's we've I've gone over my feelings on From. I'd probably even take him over Eason. I don't like Eason. I watch Eason. Eason has the has the arm. He's like six six, and he has a pretty freaking awesome arm. He stinks though. He's not good. In my yeah. opinion, he's not good at quarterback yet. I mean, maybe these guys you assume can get better. I don't. A quarterback's a position I also don't think changes that much um, at the NFL level. Personally, I think you got to be good. You got to, especially from an accuracy standpoint. But it will be interesting to see Hurts. I'm not a, as big on Hurts as others are, um, but I do like. If you're going to go quarterback, I like going for that athletic type. If, after like you know obvious sure things like like um, I, I don't really think even two and Herbert are, but like you know, the bigger names, I guess, the, the yeah. top prospects. And he has all the intangibles that you yes, ever that want. He has. Honestly, I remember when, I remember that national championship game when he got benched for Tua, mm-hmm. and I looked at him, and the way he composed himself, the way he handled that, and the way he was still helping Tua, and he was such a team player, I was like, I don't think this kid will make it in the NFL because this was before he went to Oklahoma, but I love this kid, and I would love to have him yeah. in my locker room. And then he goes to Oklahoma, blows it up, and now he's a prospect. So he, teams are going to fall in love with that kid. One more question, Dan, since you're our Badgers fan. Jonathan Taylor, when do you think he goes? I've been, uh, I don't want to say I'm very disappointed. I mean, it makes sense that Chiefs would go Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I'm going to stick with my original prediction John, uh, Jonathan Taylor to the Detroit Lions uh, uh, with their second round pick. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can see it just because, uh, uh, homeboy, uh, carry on Johnson has had so much, uh, so many injuries. And they're granted, a Chiefs type team. They want to establish the run. Yeah. Granted, I, I do they think they're, they're, they're a team who don't really have the luxury to go running back that they high either. They don't care, Nick. They don't care. They're giant, <laughs> their team established a run. These team established a run team. They don't care. They this is a this is a priority for them. Do you understand this? The yeah. Giants, these teams, they want to run the football. They don't care about anything else. They don't care if you don't believe it's important anymore. They they want to run the ball. One more question too, Dan. Any of these corners interest you if they trade back, say, a little bit, maybe, and still catch them in the second round? No, no. They, they can't, Nick. They just can't. They have Bradbury locked in. They they have Baker locked in based on his draft uh, pedigree, and they got to hope that Beal, they use a third, an early third on him. They got to hope Beal, Ballantine, or Love works out there as well. 
I mean, yeah, unless what? they see Love as a true safety, then I'm a little open to it, but not not necessarily, no. Yeah, that's Jalen Johnson from Good Utah. Question. Yeah, right. Kristen Fulton from yep. LSU. He's still yep. around. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of any other corners. That's, that's the only one I like anybody out of those guys. I like Fulton. I'm not a Fulton guy. Not a Fulton guy? He reminds me of the dude from... Uh, from from uh, Oklahoma State a couple a couple years back, top ten pick. Uh, Justin Gilbert. Gilbert a little bit, yeah. Soft, oh, really. Soft, so. soft uh-huh. off soft off coverage guy. Not into it. See, I didn't I didn't really necessarily see. Nah, that. he's not that bad. He's he's but I just I just just from the sense that they both were better in like man off coverage and uh, those guys are risky to me. Those I think I I don't know. I just don't like it. But yeah. on that note. I'm going to wrap this bad boy up, Nip, because it is currently 4.03 a.m. I have been working. I finished. Me and Nick both were workhorses tonight. I finished my work with CBS Sports at about 2.48 a.m., and I was like, we're going to get this pot out. Nick was barely done with his work, and I have actually have an a.m. shift. I'm heading back. I'm going to get, I don't know, it looks like at this point I'm not good at falling asleep right away. That's not my style. So I'm probably going to end up getting three and a half hours of sleep. I'm back on at 8.30 tomorrow. Uh, from a shift in the morning uh, for for CBS, so it's going to be an interesting weekend of of very little sleep. Right? Now we're running on what ninety minutes on this pod. This one was it flowed naturally, but we had a lot to say. So hopefully you guys enjoy this extended podcast. We're obviously going to be right back at you tomorrow night after the draft. Um, we we'll drop these ASAP, but expect us to kind of record and and edit and get them out really late. So you'll probably see them in the morning. I mean, both of me and Nick have have a lot of work uh, duties outside of the pod that we're going to obviously have to attend to first and foremost, but we do appreciate you guys listening. We hope you enjoyed this mega pod. I think it's almost, this might be our longest podcast ever, Nick, if we really look back at it. Um, And I just want to say thank you to everyone who supports the show. We had some more awesome reviews coming in. One of my favorites that I wanted to read out was from Jawlit. I love the name. First of all, J A J A H H space L I T best New York giants pod out there. Greatest, analytics podcast with two voices made for podcasts and i thought this was funny nick in quote in uh parentheses definitely not nasally so i appreciate it jollet but i trust me i've come to the realization you don't need to sugarcoat it for me don't need to pat it don't need to pad the stats for me i know i got a nasally voice like i said it's just part of my charm you either like it or you don't and according to the guy who gave us a one-star review he really didn't like it so i'm happy you Feel the opposite way, Jollet, with the five star, and then Joe from Sacramento, California, which is cool that we got people from from Cali listening in. He said it's the best G Men insight. I listen to different Giant pods, but it ends with these guys. Knowledgeable with the modern day NFL from the draft process, team construction, positional value, historical G Men context, and simply knowing the details of players and their performance. Both engage on Twitter as well. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Joe. I think basically what you just described there in your review, Joe, is exactly what we seek out to be. So I'm happy that that yep. landed with you. Um, and hopefully it lands with everybody else. But on that note, everyone, going to sign off. Try and get some sleep. I'm going to try and get some sleep. Nick's going to try and get sleep and we'll be back at it tomorrow go Giants everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.